all of us would like to avoid unnecessary pain. But the problem is that sometimes we do things that get us into trouble, that cause us to have trials and difficulties. And the other thing is sometimes we don't do what ha needs to happen in order to get out of situations that are causing us to be in the midst of a trial, a difficulty, and experiencing pain. So the good news is that God is in the business of rescuing people, of getting people out of the messes they've got themselves into. So why not get out? Why not take God up on that offer? Hello, I'm Pastor Brian Foreman, and this is Cornerstone Online, which is our weekly experience where we inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, knowing that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. And if you're new here, we would love to be able to welcome you personally and stay in touch with you to encourage you along as you make spiritual progress. So let us know who you are. Text the word new to 603-225-2550, wherever you're watching or listening, and we'll be able to stay in touch. Now we are in the midst of a series called Stirred Up that is working through the New Testament book of Second Peter. And Second Peter is actually a letter written to a bunch of churches by the Apostle Peter. So what's the story so far? So far? Peter is, of course, that famous, most famous of the disciples who uh, was renamed by Jesus. His name was really Simon, but he was given the nickname Peter, which means rock. And the idea behind that was that Peter was going to be as steady as a rock. But what we see happening from time to time is that he sinks like a rock. And most famously at the time of the passion, Jesus getting ready to go to the cross, Jesus famously predicted that even though Peter had said he was determined to follow Jesus even to death, that he was going to eventually deny him multiple times over. He did that three times. He denied that he even knew Jesus. But because Jesus is in the business of restoring people, we also see that after the resurrection, he restored Peter as well. And he asked him, do you love me? And gave him three opportunities to affirm his allegiance and love for Jesus. And when he did that, Jesus gave him his commissioning. He reaffirmed his choice selection and design for Peter. And it's summed up like this. It's using the idea of being a shepherd. He says, feed my sheep. The three times that Jesus asked him, do you love me? He replied, yes, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep, shepherd my flock. And so when Peter is many years later writing to the congregations, he picks up that theme again. He says, I urge you, this is from 1 Peter, elders, leaders among you, as your fellow elder, shepherd the flock of God among you. Shepherd the flock of God among you. And there are three aspects to shepherding the flock. You're going to take care of them, you're going to lead them, and you're going to protect them. And that's how Peter 
is uh, fulfilling his commissioning and calling to these congregations. And in 2 Peter, this letter in particular, he is protecting the flock. The problem that he's dealing with, and this is working through the letter so far, is corruption from false teachers within. In 2 Peter chapter 1, or 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, There will be false teachers among you. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And so, as he sees these dangers, he wants to protect the flock. And so he writes this letter and he says, therefore, I will always remind you about these things. Uh, and that word rem that's translated remind there, it literally says to stir you up to remembrance, to remind you, to stir you up, to help you to call to mind those truths that you have been taught. And that's why we've called this series in Second Peter, Stirred Up. Now, what, were, what was the evil teaching that these false te teachers were propagating that the Apostle Peter is concerned to counter? Basically, it's the idea that there just isn't any accountability. It doesn't matter how you live. You can live however you want because there's not going to be any accounting, any, any judgment. There's not going to be any accountability. And so as a result, they were teaching people it doesn't matter how you live, that there's not going to be any accountability, and they were living like that as well and encouraging others by their example and their teaching to do the same. So he's writing to warn them because that's simply not the case. And he wants to make sure that they are protected from this false teaching and remind them that there is a way back. In the same way that he experienced restoration, they can experience restoration. God loves to restore the wayward heart. Like we saw in this verse last week, Jeremiah chapter three, verse 22, my wayward children, says the Lord, come back to me, return to me, and I will heal your wayward hearts. Peter is telling them, reminding them that yes, there is accountability. You have been rescued and saved from your sins. So you don't want to continue to live in them and continue to wallow in the mud. You are supposed to, you've been rescued out of them. So take that and build on that. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's the issue, the main issue, the problem that they're dealing with. And his core application is make progress, grow, keep building on what you have been taught. In 2 Peter 1.4, it says, these are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature. What's he talking about? He's talking about the promise of the gospel is that you can be rescued from your sin and the suffering that results as a, uh, that comes from that sin. You can participate in the divine nature. That's his way of saying you can have godly character. You can be a different person than you were in the past. And so it doesn't make sense to stay in the past and that past way of living. Instead, you should build on it. And the next verse says that. So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given. So what's the main issue? false teachers. What's his key application is to make progress, to keep growing. 
And the key truth in all of this in the book is that there is accountability. Despite what the false teachers have been telling you, there is accountability. And that's the bulk of the message of Second Peter. The first thing that he says is that there's accountability. That is, in fact, the testimony of Scripture. And that's what we talked about last week. And he talks about that from two aspects. Number one, the eyewitness testimony. The people that were with Jesus saw Jesus not just lowly and humble, but the majestic, kingly, uh, glorious Jesus that is going to return and going to be the judge of all the earth. They saw that in particular on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they also uh, confirmed what they had heard in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, what the prophets foretold, that there would be an accounting. This is something, a theme that Jesus picked up on. He said in Matthew twelve thirty six, but I tell you that for every careless word, every idle word that is spoken, that people speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. So it's not just the big things, it's just every word, there is an accounting. So again, they focused on their experience and then the prophetic word. That's summed up in 2 Peter 1.19. Because of that experience, we saw Jesus' glory revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration. We have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets that God will eventually make everything right. And in fact, uh, the way that he made things right is the core of the gospel. In the intro, the very opening of this letter, Second Peter, this is the way Peter describes it. To those, he's writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal privilege with ours. In other words, you've gotten in on the same deal that we got in on. And what is that deal? The right through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, we get adopted into his family. We're citizens in his kingdom. We are rescued from the sins of our past. God has written a new ending to our story. And how does that happen? It happens because of and through Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross, counting for us, has given us hope and a future. So, the key truth, there is accountability. That's according to the scriptures. And then secondly, he makes the point that it's perfectly in line with God's character. And that's what we're focusing on in today's passage. He's saying, look, that, that God will hold people to account is not only the testimony of scripture, that God is a righteous, Jesus is a righteous judge who will return in power to judge the living and the dead. That was our experience of Jesus, but also it's perfectly in line with what we know of God's character from his actions in the past. And the way that he'll sum it up in this passage is that God knows how to rescue the godly from evil trials, and he knows how to hold the feet of the wicked to the fire until the judgment day. So today, we are talking about rescue. What are we talking about today? We're talking about rescue. And here's what the Apostle Peter is teaching us through these examples in the scripture of accountability. There's no getting away with it, but there is getting 
out of it. In other words, whatever you do, you're not going to get away with it. God is a righteous judge. And despite what the false teachers might tell you, there is going to be an accounting. Uh, So there's no getting away with it. But there is a getting out of it. God is able to rescue you out of your trials if you will just say yes to him. So the application is to get out. There's no getting away with it, but there is a getting out of it. So get out. That's what we'll be talking about and uh, the way that we'll apply it at the end of today's message. So let's look at the passage for today. This is 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to the first half of verse 10, 10a. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. He's especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, I pray, first off, thanking you that you have given us your word, that you've revealed your word to us. And I pray, Lord, that as we study it today, as we look at it today, that you would give every person watching and listening insight, understanding, that they would hear your heart and that they would know how to apply it in their lives. I thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is active and at work in the midst of this. And I pray that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that are ready to receive and respond in faith. Thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage, bottom line, is that there's no getting away with it. There is accountability, but there is getting out of it. God will make a way of rescue for those that say yes to him. He gives three examples to emphasize this point. And he starts with the angels. The angels are an example. The fallen angels are an example of this bottom line. Verse four, for God did not spare even the angels who sinned. And in particular, what is their sin? What is he talking about? Well, there's some insight in that. In a parallel passage, the very next book in the New Testament is a very small letter named Jude from the, uh, from the brother of Jesus, Jude. 
and I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them. That's the sixth verse in the book of Jude. So he's saying there, they overstepped their bounds of authority. In other words, they were saying, God, we're not going to live under your authority anymore. We're going to do what we want to do. Uh, And then he says, that God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. He's saying they're not going to get away with it. And that's the idea that, that the apostle Peter is tapping into. Look, the angels, even supernatural beings that are far more powerful and in just a different uh, type of existence than they, they're not going to get away with it. In uh, the parallel in Second Peter, he threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. Now, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily being tormented. It just means that, uh, in fact, the word that he uses there is Tartarus, which is tying into a Greek concept of that place of, of judgment that where the worst of sinners was held until the ultimate judgment. And that's what he's saying right here is that angels don't get away with it. So the implication is, so we certainly aren't going to get away with it. The false teachers certainly aren't going to get away with it if angels don't even get away with it. So that's the first example that there's no getting away with it. Even the angels that sinned are going to experience judgment. But the good news, there is a getting out of it. God will provide a way of rescue. And the second example that he gives is the ancient world in the time of Noah and the flood. He says in verse five, and God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. He was letting them know there's going to be judgment. There is accountability. You're not going to get away with it. But God was providing a way of rescue and escape as well by letting Noah what was going on, warning him ahead of time, and giving him a plan of escape in the form of the ark. So they're not going to get away with it. And that's what Noah was warning the people of his day. But God would provide a way out of it. That's what's described in the rest of that verse. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. So the first example that there's no getting away with it, supernatural beings, the angels who rebelled. Second example, the ancient world in the time of Noah. Judgment was coming. Noah warned them of it. There's no getting away with it, but there is a getting out of it. And God provided a way of escape for Noah. Then the third example that he gives from the Hebrew scriptures is this one. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. Now, this story is recorded in Genesis chapter 18 and 19. I'd highly suggest that you go back and read it sometime. And uh, he sums up the problem 
of Peter does of the false teachers at the end of this passage. So that'll give us some insight into what is going on here. To sum up in verse 10, he says, God, he is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. Now we all already said from the parallel passage in Jude, we saw that part of the problem with the angels was the despising of authority. They wanted to get out from under God's authority. And the, that was the same kind of thing that was going on with the false teachers. He's really talking about here the false teachers. What was their problem? They were rejecting authority. They're saying, God's not going to call us to account. We get to decide what we want to do, what's right and wrong for us. And then the second aspect is the, the idea of sexual immorality, sexual immorality. Now, of course, Sodom and Gomorrah, when you think of sexual immorality, when you think of Sodom and Gomorrah, most of the time you're talking about homosexuality. But there's much more kind of going on in that. And this isn't a message about that. But the idea that it has always been God's plan and design and desire, the ideal is one man and one woman for life committed in the context of marriage. Now, we realize that this is completely out of step with our culture right now, but it's just good to recognize that no matter what's going on in the here and now, that it has always been the testimony of scripture and, uh, and Jesus himself that it's God's plan and his ideal and his desire, his design was that sexual ethic of one man and one woman for life. Because it's so out of touch from our world today, it's uh, worth thinking about what, um, what it is our approach. And it makes me think of a story that I heard from another pastor who was having a counseling session. And this young woman had come in, she had just decided to follow Jesus, and she was really struggling with the Christian sexual ethic. And she was saying, look, you know, to this pastor, I wanna follow Jesus. But, but are you really telling me that, that, that this is the sexual ethic that I should have? It just doesn't seem realistic. It doesn't seem doable. It's so out of touch with what uh, is going on in our world today. And the pastor recognized that. And he said, I know what you're saying. But in the moment, he just had this question come to mind. And he asked this young woman this question. So tell me, has the way that you've been managing your sexuality, the way that you've been handling your sexuality up to this point, has it complicated your life or simplified your life? Has it made your relationships better? Has it improved your life and relationships or has it complicated your life and relationships? And as he asked that question, the truth behind that question settled into her heart and tears began to stream down her face. We often say in Cornerstone that 
that we want to encourage and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And why? Because following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life, even in this issue of our sexual ethic, and perhaps especially in this issue of our sexual ethic. Following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. And in particular, I want you to hear the heart of God behind his design and desire. Yes, it is his plan right from the very beginning Jesus, uh, at that creation, God said that for this reason will a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one. That has been his plan. It's been the ideal throughout history for centuries, for millennia. When people came together in marriage, they were committing one man, one woman together for a lifetime. That's the ideal. Now the ideal doesn't always work out, but we don't throw the ideal out because life gets complicated. And it's also God's design. God's design at creation that Jesus reaffirmed when he quoted that very verse about one uh, leaving your father and mother, being joined to your wife, becoming one. That is the design and there's good reason behind that because god wants you his heart behind his encouragement is that he wants you to have a better life and to be better at life and this is emphasized when you look back at that passage in genesis 18 and 19 the reason that god was acting is that the cries of the victims in Sodom and Gomorrah are deafening. There was much more going on there than just people making choices behind closed door. There was tremendous uh, rampant sexual abuse and victimization, and that's one of the main reasons that God gives for his intervening. There were people who were being abused and raped. It wasn't safe to walk the streets. And the cries of the victims of the sexual immorality is part of what, uh, the main part of what motivated God to act in this case. So we don't get away with it. Uh, regardless of whether there's judgment from God, when we violate God's design, when we live contrary to that, there are natural consequences. Our life and relationships don't get better. They get more difficult. They are more complicated, and God wants to rescue and save you from and avoid those unnecessary heartaches, pains, and complications. And it there's no getting away with it, but there is a getting out of it. And that's what he emphasizes in, Peter emphasizes in the second part. God also rescued Lot. He condemned the sin, the abuses, the victimization that was going on in Lot's city and time, but he also rescued Lot. He made a way of escape for the righteous man who was in the midst of those trials and difficulties. So there's no getting away with it, 
but there is a getting out of it. Peter sums it up in that way. You see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trial and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. And actually, that's what we really want from God, is it not? A righteous judge is not going to let the guilty go free. Whenever we are watching trials in our nation or in our country or in our uh, communities, we hate to hear of injustice. We hate to hear if a uh, someone in authority is corrupt or accepts a bribe. We don't like bribe. We don't like it when the unjust escape punishment, when they don't get what they deserve, when a judge is not acting righteously. And so we really want God to be the same way. We want him to be a righteous judge. And that means that people aren't going to get away with it but we also want a merciful God, and he is that also. He makes a way of escape, a way for us to get out of it. And in fact, as we emphasized last week, God loves to restore the wayward heart. Again, in Jeremiah 3.22, my wayward children, says the Lord, come back to me, and I will heal your wayward hearts. That begins when we say yes to Jesus. You might realize that you have been like those false teachers, deciding for your own self what's right and wrong, rejecting God's authority. It doesn't make sense, it's out of touch, it's out of date, but there's something in you right now that is just reminding you and convincing you, despite your, your best efforts not to be so, that yeah, God is in charge. He does have a design, a plan for your life and that he is perfectly righteous and within his authority to expect us to submit to his authority as the king of the universe and that that has something to do with the way that we live, including our sexual ethic. And you're recognizing that and God is saying, wayward children, come back to me and I will heal your way of your wayward hearts. You're not going to get away with it, but I will make a way for you to get out of it. If you've never made that decision where you surrender your own authority to God's authority, you place yourself under God's authority, you ask him to take the the sins and guilt and uh, unrighteousness of your past and to forgive you and to start anew with him, I'm going to encourage you to do that right now, to commit, to turn your life over to Jesus, to say yes to his invitation, yes to the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, I want what you did on the cross to count for me, to say yes to his authority, that he's gonna be the boss. He's gonna call the shots in your life. Yes, I want you to be my master, my Lord, my leader, to be the boss in my life. If you've never done that before, I would encourage you to do it now. There's no getting away with it, but there is a way of getting out, and that happens through Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. Say yes. 
And if you're doing that for the first time, then I would encourage you to let us know. We want to be able to celebrate with you because this is the best decision you're ever going to make. And we also want to resource you. We want to help you as you begin your journey with following Jesus because his design is that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he has in mind for you. He wants to rescue you. There's no getting away with it, but there is a getting out of it. So now we come to the challenge. This is the idea where I give you some actionable steps, some practical ways that you can apply what you have heard today. We said that his, God's design is that you grow, that you make progress in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's no getting out of judgment, but there is a getting out of the mess that we have gotten ourselves into. And so we get out. Now, when you say yes to Jesus, that's not just a one-time thing. When you're beginning, that is the way we get started, but it's also the way that we continue in our relationship with the Lord, constantly placing ourselves under his authority and following his lead. And for some of you, that means that there's something that you need to get out of. It might be a relationship, that you know is not healthy and helpful for you. It might be a friendship or some friend group that you need to put a little distance between you and them. It might be just acknowledging that God's ideal is the right path. Now, this is an important thing to remember. This is not judgment on the the faults and failings and trip ups and mistakes that you have made in the past. We all have them. That's why we love Jesus because he forgives us of our past and he writes a new ending to our story. So the point of this is not for you to get mired in the guilt of the past and what coulda or shoulda or whatever, but to focus on the future, to celebrate the goodness and forgiveness and rescue that God has given you, even for the choices that we regret in the here and now. But to, so get out of that guilt. Maybe that's part of what you need to do is just release yourself. God has already released you. He's put all the guilt of your past on Jesus. There's no more punishment. There's nothing he's holding over you anymore. So just release that. Get out of that guilt. Maybe you need to get out of a relationship. Maybe you need to get out of a particular friendship or other kind of relationship. Maybe you just need to get out of living in the past. Some of you have situations that you know are not good for your spiritual health and well-being. You need to get out of that situation. For some of you, that might even mean changing jobs, relocating, getting a new roommate, whatever. You got to do what you need to do to get out of that situation. And I'm gonna sum it up with a verse from the, the prophet Ezekiel. It's great, great advice that I give over and over again when people are in situations where they need to make a change. This is what it says in Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 30 to 32. 
Turn your backs on rebellious living so that sin won't drag you down. What are the situations that you're in that you just know they are a weight that is dragging you down? Get out of that situation. He goes on, clean house, clean house. No more rebellions, please. Get a new heart, get a new spirit. And that's what God has promised us in the gospel. Those, the, the brokenness within us that caused us to get in the mess that we're now trying to get out of now. He's saying, not only will I rescue you out of the problem that you're in, the situation that you're in, I'm going to fix you from the inside out. I'm gonna give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'm going to write a new ending to your story. He says, why would you choose to die, Israel? I take no pleasure in anyone's death. Decree of God, the master. This is his stamp of approval. He's saying, look, I am the Lord and I want what is best for you. I don't take pleasure in the in death and destruction. I want you to live. And so he sums it up with this advice. Make a clean break. Live. Don't dabble, don't kind of shift gently out of the problem that you're in. The best thing that you can do in many cases is make a clean break. Get out. Whatever that means for you, you know what it means. I believe the Holy Spirit is at work convincing, showing, and directing you. So take that advice. Get out. Make a clean break and live. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your Father's heart towards us that wants what's best for us and is straight with us and tells us what is going to result in death and destruction and judgment and the way that we can escape that and experience your rescue and have that life and have it abundantly as you yourself promised. I pray, Lord, that you would show each one of us, beginning with myself, what we need to do. Give us wisdom to understand how to apply what we've heard today. And then I pray that you would give us the courage, the strength to act, to make a clean break, to get out of situations that we need to change, and to trust you for rescue, to submit to you as our authority, knowing that you love us and only have our best interests at heart. We thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.